Welcome to A Bigger Life, where you can break through the distractions, stop, listen, and speak to God in prayer. I'm Dave Cover. I want to help you use the Bible as your conversation with God so you can live a bigger life. Like I said in the last episode, one of the things that amazes me about the Bible is how it best describes the realities of the human condition better than any other narrative out there. And one of the things I think is so amazing about the book of Genesis is it's real and it's so true to life right now. It's ahead of us. Written 3,000 plus years ago, it's so far ahead of us in understanding the realities of the human condition and the stories that it tells, especially in the earliest chapters, chapters one, two, and three, and four, it captures through these stories in very imaginative ways the realities, deep realities of the human conditions. Far from being something that's outdated and archaic, it's so far ahead of our culture today in its insights into the kinds of dysfunctions that we all have in ourselves and in our relationships and the dysfunctions that we have even when we consider the reality of God in our lives. And it all happens in these early chapters of Genesis. We've been looking at Genesis chapter 2 as it related to this river that, that flowed from the presence of God in Eden and the tree of life and how that imagery is hyperlinked and reappears in the New Testament as pictures of all that God is for us in Christ and what Christ is doing to restore his river of delight, the presence of God, the leaves of the tree of life that heal the nations when he returns and brings the kingdom of God back with him, brings heaven back to earth. But we look at Genesis 2 even more. And Genesis, remember Genesis 2.9 said the Lord God had made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. That's a, just a picture of the abundance that God had in Eden. That God's intention, God's will, God's plan is for our abundance, to live in a place of flourishing, to live a life of abundance. And it says in verse 16, And the Lord God had commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. There's all these trees that are pleasing to the eye and good for food. There's so many of them. And he's free to eat from any tree in the garden, all these trees pleasing to the eye and good for food. They tasted great. They looked great. It was beautiful, a world of beauty and transcendence and glory and delight and satisfaction physically, spiritually. But it says, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, this tree of the knowledge of good and evil was the choice. Do I want to do God's will or do I want to try to find satisfaction in my own will? I have abundance to eat from any tree in the garden. I am free to have delight and to have satisfaction when I stay within the will of God. If I try to find it on my own, it brings evil. And then the last verse of Genesis 2 says, verse 25 says, 
Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Now that's saying a lot more than they were naked, you know, that kind of thing. It's talking here about a poetic reality of being completely exposed, completely vulnerable, having nothing to be ashamed of. They were both naked and they felt no shame. They were able to completely be themselves, to be completely exposed. They didn't have to hide anything. They didn't have to pretend. They had a relationship of complete vulnerability and trust without any shame, without any fear of rejection, without any fear of not being good enough. Now, just before you think of the Bible as archaic and outdated, just think of that sentence and how that sentence is loaded with reality that we all know is true of our lives now in such a deeply poetic, deeply imaginative words that are filled with word pictures and meaning. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. And then the next verse is Genesis chapter three, verse one. Genesis wasn't written in chapters. We did that later. So the very next verse, if you think of it as being part of the next storyline of Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. That's chapter 3, verse 1. So something's happening now. They're in Eden, and Eden is this place where heaven and earth intersect, and there is some sort of non-weirdness to this serpent being in the garden and being able to communicate with Adam and Eve. Something of this life where they were alive spiritually, they could interact with spiritual beings. This text says the serpent, which is a play upon a Hebrew word that meant snake, but it also meant shining one. It meant enchantment, and it has this idea of a spiritual reality to it as well. The Old Testament loves to play upon double meanings to words. The New Testament authors identified this serpent in Genesis 3 as the devil or Satan, it says in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, and other places too. So just as Eden is the intersection between heaven and earth, so too Genesis 3 is an intersection, we see at least here in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3, an intersection between two parallel dramas taking place in two parallel realms. Two stories unfolding in parallel to one another. There's the human drama and what's going to happen in this world because of what happens to humanity. And there's also a spiritual realm that we're seeing. Now, we there's no place in the Bible that says that Satan fell from God before Eden. Now, it's likely that he did, but we could also just as easily read that perhaps Genesis 3 is not just the fall of humanity, but the fall of Satan and his followers as well. Because when you think about Genesis 1, God says, let us make human beings in our own image and let them rule over the earth and over everything. Maybe before that, angels were ruling over God's creation. Maybe before that, angels ruled over the earth. Maybe before that, they had this special status of being in the image of God and their power and their greatness and beauty and glory was more visibly in line with their role to rule over God's creation in some way. 
And then God has this plan to create pig kind of people, pig-skinned people that are going to be his image, and they're going to be allowed to rule over God's creation. And you can see, perhaps, in this jealousy, this story of, of, of Satan being jealous of God being so foolish as to allow such a lower being to have such high, great power and glory and responsibility in the image of God. You can see, perhaps, that might be an impetus for the fall of Satan. This is all this is all speculation, of course. But nobody anybody who tells you they know exactly when Satan fell, they don't. They have their arguments, that's fine. We all have to make arguments for what we believe, and we should believe what we believe based upon arguments. But there is a lot that, that's not clear in that story. But Genesis 3 is these two parallel dramas taking place. There's the realm of this serpent that is described, and this is very picturesque language. He's more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He's in the garden. He's the craftiest of all the wild animals. This is language that's using serpent and intersecting with the Hebrew word for something more than serpent. And it says there's a spiritual realm happening here, we know from the rest of the Bible. Genesis 3 is giving us a glimpse into the reality that we live in an enchanted world. Now, I mean that word positively. We live in this world that's not, well, today, you know, one of the devil's biggest deceptions is to shrink our worldview down to merely this material world, the physical world, the world of atoms, the world that people think that, that secularists say is science, and only science is what tells us what's true, because the only thing that's real is the physical world. No spiritual, only science, only the physical realm. A low ceiling. We have a this world is a low ceiling, a small box, without wonder, without transcendence, without anything beyond just atoms and the physical world, except that everyone deep down knows that that's not reality, that right and wrong are real and not just a matter of atoms, that good and evil are real and not just a matter of atoms in the material world, that justice is real, love is real, there's a sense of providence in life. And even if we replace God with the universe, then we say the universe wants us to get together. The universe has caused this to happen. You see it all the time in TV shows. We cannot get beyond the idea of some bigger providence that's guiding our lives, that's overseeing our lives. We cannot get beyond the idea that love is real and not just a chemical reaction. We cannot get beyond the idea that justice is real and not just a matter of who's in power at what time, that right and wrong are real. Good and evil are real. And the most important things about life in this world are things that we know are not physical things, not things, but people. And so this serpent in Eden brings up this tree of the knowledge of good and evil as an issue that God is trying to hold out on you. God is not good in his will for you. God is not loving in his plan for you. And the serpent's primary deception today is that we live in just a world of atoms and that there is no God and therefore there is no wonder. There is a low ceiling. There's just a small box and we can't have any kind of intellectual basis for the things that we all instinctively know are true. But the serpent's primary deception in Eden was that God's command is not the best way to determine good and evil. 
it's the same as now that we cannot trust God's word. It's archaic. It's outdated. It's going to have old good and evil. It's not true today. A better way is by your own desires. This is what he tells Eve. This is what he tells us now. We determine what's right and wrong by our own desires. And Eve defined good and bad by her own desire. That's why it says she, when she saw that the tree was pleasing to the eye and desirable and good for food, she took and she ate. And here's where the depth of insight, I think, becomes so interesting is in Genesis 3, it says this, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now we're going back again to that idea in the last verse of chapter 2. The man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. The minute they disobeyed the command of God to try to find what is good and desirable on their own, that very next word, then, the eyes of both of them were opened in a way. Now, I don't think it means opened in a positive way. I think it's being sarcastic. They were opened and they realized they were naked. They realized they were vulnerable. They realized they were exposed. They realized that they were not safe. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves because now shame has come. Now this fear of rejection has come. Now this fear that I am not good enough. I'm exposed. I can't trust. I can't be vulnerable. That word, then, something happened at that point after taking, and the eyes of both of them were opened. Everything changed in how they saw. They now saw everything through the eyes of shame, everything through the eyes of fear, everything through the eyes of isolation, aloneness. They realized they were naked. They were exposed. They're not at home in who they are. They're not at home in their bodies. They're not at home with themselves. They're not at home with each other. They can't be safe. They're not safe. So the first thing they did was make coverings for themselves. Now, the language here, I think, is just so unbelievably genius. Who but the Holy Spirit could write this? They made coverings for themselves. The loss of exposure, the loss of vulnerability, the loss of honesty, the loss of oneness in their relationships, the loss of freedom in their relationships to to be who they were. They must now hide themselves. They must cover themselves. They must operate out of fear. They must operate out of shame. They must operate out of aloneness. So Genesis, remember Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. But now the fear of exposure requires that we be alone, not just the inadequacy sense, but in the moral sense of who we are. Rebecca McLaughlin, in her really good book, Christianity Exposed, she writes this. She says, It has been said that no friendship in the world would last a day if we could see each other's thoughts. She goes on to say, run that test on yourself between now and tomorrow. Think of everyone you spend time with and ask, would I let them see a transcript of my thoughts? My marriage would die, she says. My children would be crushed. My friends would leave. My thoughts are not all bad. Many are good and kind and true. 
but like a bag of flour infested by maggots, no part of me is pure. Now, that's pretty good insight. And that's what Genesis 3 is showing us, is that if people saw our true thoughts, all of them, our true feelings, all of them, we know that our friendships would be ruined. Those who loved us the most would be devastated. No friendship could survive it. Because it's not that we're all bad. We have lots of good, kind, loving thoughts. But she says, like a bag of flour infested by maggots, none of our thoughts are pure. And this has been the reality ever since Genesis 3. And I just think it's genius of this very ancient 3,000-year-old scripture to have this kind of insight. It has such great insight to the human condition. I don't think any other narrative can explain this. The secular narrative for sure cannot explain this. We're just a body of atoms in a world where there is no true good and evil. There is no true justice. There's no shame because there's nothing that is the standard by which we're measured. But we all know we have to cover ourselves to some degree from everyone. We have to because we are not safe. And we are not safe as people, and our friendships are not safe if they knew everything about us. Because of all of our moral brokenness, we would be devastated if others were able to see 100% of our thoughts and our feelings. Even our closest relationships would be ruined, especially our closest relationships would be ruined. And so we all have learned ever since we had had our first realizations that we have relationships, we've all learned to adopt our ways and adapt our ways of trying to cover ourselves from others in our lives. We've just become really good at covering ourselves, all the ways that we cover ourselves. It's obvious when you're a kid when you're trying to do it, but we've learned to do it less obviously, although it is more obvious to people who watch us than we think it is to ourselves. But it is exhausting, isn't it? It's exhausting to have to cover ourselves all the time. It's not the most exhausting thing we do, however. The most exhausting thing we hide from is God. Now, I, I think, again, how far ahead this 3,000-year-old text is to describing our relationships, but it's also that far ahead in describing the reality of our relationship with God. But the Bible says that God has created everyone with eternity in their hearts. God has created everyone with this instinct that He exists and that He is the kind of God who has created everything, and He's a moral God that we should obey and yet we cover that up. We cover ourselves from him by covering him up and we hide ourselves from him in all the ways that we intellectually hide God from our thoughts and hide God from our morality and hide God from our sense of our day and all the ways we sort of have learned to turn down the volume of our conscience's reality, of God's reality in our lives. So Genesis 3.8 says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden. They're still in the Garden of Eden. As he's walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. Verse 9, But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? 
He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. There's that word again. So I hid. Now, this is just so genius. This word picture of being naked, being exposed. At first, they were able to be fully exposed and vulnerable, and they felt no shame. Now they're filled with shame and have to cover themselves. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. So here's God asking a question like he does all throughout the Bible where he already knows the answer, but he asks the question so that we have to say the answer and we have to come to terms with the answer. And so he asks it to expose the answer. I'm trying to hide from God behind a tree. That's what God wanted Adam to realize. I'm trying to hide from God behind a tree. Now, again, if we think about the insight here in the way it's all worded, It's amazing that God provides all this abundance of trees for our delight. They're delightful to the eye. They're good for food. God wants to give us good gifts. God wants to give us abundance. But eventually what our sin does, when we try to find good apart from the will of God and it causes us to go into this Genesis 3 life of rejecting the will of God to find our own good, it ultimately causes us to want to hide from God. It ultimately causes dysfunction in our relationships. It causes us to have relationships where we're constantly trying to hide ourselves. And here, Adam and Eve are trying to hide from God behind his gifts of the abundance of trees. Remember, in the garden, all kinds of trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. Not good as hiding places. They were good for beauty and they were good for food, but not very good hiding places. And we've all gotten pretty good at finding trees to hide behind. These gifts of God that God has given us, they're terrible places to hide, but we have constantly been trying to hide from God behind them all of our lives. And there's so many trees, the good things that keep us from having to think about where we are with God. They're good things in and of themselves. They're trees, but they become devastating in our lives because we try to hide from God behind them. We try to be too busy about them. We try to fill our lives with them. We try to keep going from one to the next to try to keep our lives and ourselves distracted from the reality of where we are with God so that we don't have to think about God and we don't have to think about where we are with God and we don't have to think about our nakedness before God because we can keep filling our lives with all these trees. And among all those trees that God has created, God becomes more and more unreal to us. And only the trees eventually seem real. Our life is filled with the trees that we're hiding behind so that God becomes less and less real. And our life gets consumed with the trees. See, to cause us to contribute to the evil in the world, Satan is, he doesn't have to fill us with hatred of God. He just has to fill us with the forgetfulness of God among all the good trees. And when we forget God among all the good trees, we're spreading evil. We're spreading shame. We're spreading dysfunction. We're spreading this whole story of Genesis 3 everywhere we go in all of our relationships, in our relationships, in our marriages, in our relationships with our roommates, in our relationships with our kids, in our relationships with our parents, in our relationships with our friends. We're just spreading Genesis 3 in all of our forgetfulness of God, of wanting to hide behind the trees. And so we keep talking about trivial things. We keep talking about the trees and we never talk about God because we want to hide hide from God behind the trees. What this podcast is all about 
is trying to reverse that and to intentionally come from behind our tree and come into the visible presence of God and to be vulnerable, to be completely uncovered and to acknowledge our nakedness and to come to God as we truly are. God sees us as we truly are. He wants us to see us as we truly are. He wants to ask us, where are you? So that we have to answer, I'm trying to hide from you behind this tree and I'm naked and my nakedness causes me to be afraid of you. So I want to hide from you. Can you imagine the healing that would come just from acknowledging that? Just from acknowledging, God, I've been trying to hide from you all my life because of my nakedness, because of my shame, because I delight in the trees more than I delight in you because they allow me to hide from you. And all of our lives, if we could just acknowledge that kind of dysfunction, that's the beginning of of healing. That's the beginning of wisdom. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. That's one of the verses in the Bible that I think is so true to this text here. If we could just have this sense that I'm, I'm dysfunctionally afraid of God and I need to come into the reality of that and be honest about it, And there's a fear of God that sees his grandeur and causes a certain kind of holy fear that's very healthy. And there's a fear of God that wants to run from God and hide behind the trees that's the root of every dysfunction in our lives. And if I could just be honest about that and come to the presence of God and say, God, I've been trying to hide. I still want to hide. I'm still afraid to come before you in the cool of the day. I'm still afraid of what it would mean that I would have this intimate relationship with you. I'm still distrusting of your goodness. I'm still distrusting of your love that caused me to take the fruit in the first place. And yet, and yet, I know the Bible is true. I know Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. I know it's true. And I know every tree is a dead end. And you are the only one who's the river of delight. You're the only one who is the tree of life. You're the only one who brings flourishing to my life by your abundance of goodness and your abundance of your love for me, your steadfast love for me that's forever. This is why that phrase in the Bible that's repeated over and over, for the Lord is good and his steadfast love endures forever. Repeated over and over in the Bible is the antidote to the lie of Satan that God cannot be trusted, his goodness cannot be trusted, he's not good, his love cannot be trusted, he's not loving. He's trying to restrict. He's trying to bring scarcity. Even in the midst of all this abundance, we get fooled into thinking that the will of God is scarcity, that the goodness of God is not for us, that God is not good. We can't trust him. We can't take his will for our lives because that would not be for our good. And yet that's the opposite of the truth. But the crafty beast is still working in our lives to get us to embrace scarcity instead of abundance by turning away from the will of God for us. And so we pray, God, you are the source. You are the I am. You are the source of all that exists. You are the source of all abundance in your universe. You are the giver of all life. You are the river of life and there is no life apart from you. You are the tree of life and there is no life apart from you. And I want to come to you and the abundance of your trees that are pleasing to the eye and good for food. This abundance of satisfaction, this abundance of beauty, this abundance of glory in your presence. 
drinking from the river of your delights, drinking from your river of life, the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life, and I don't have to hide from you. There's no reason to hide from you. You already know my inadequacies. You already know my shame. And I can take off the coverings and acknowledge that I'm naked and I don't have to fear you. I don't have to fear your rejection. I can be completely honest with you. I can be completely uncovered before you. I can be completely vulnerable with you. And because Jesus has taken all of my inadequacies, Jesus has taken all of my guilt upon himself on the cross, and he has given me his righteousness, I can stand before you and be honest about my sin, honest about my dysfunctional desires, honest about my dysfunctional beliefs, honest about all the trees that I'm trying to hide behind that are ruining my relationships with my family, with my friends, with my work, because of all my insecurities and all my fears of inadequacy and all my threats of the things that I'm afraid of, if I'm vulnerable, I can be vulnerable with you. I may not be able to be completely vulnerable with others because they are dangerous. I'm dangerous, but I can be completely vulnerable with you because you are not dangerous. You are the only one who is safe. You are the only one who loves me. You are the only one who is my home. You are the one who loves me like a mother who holds her child in her arms, you say in your scriptures. You are my heavenly father, Jesus says, who loves me and is with me in secret, who knows the very number of hairs on my head. You are my heavenly father who gives good gifts to me because you love me, Jesus says. And I can be vulnerable with you. I can walk honestly with you. I can confess my sins and walk in the light because you have forgiven my sins. John says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, you are faithful and righteous to forgive my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I don't have to cover myself. I don't have to sow fig leaves. I don't have to hide behind the trees. I can walk openly with you in the cool of the day, like you have wanted to walk with me all my life. And I can walk with you throughout my day and be honest with you throughout my day and not have to hide and not have to pretend. I can just be completely honest with you and walk with you in the cool of the day. Walk with you in joy and walk with you in intimacy. Walk with you in all my fears and insecurities and find refuge in my honest relationship with you. That's what prayer is. Just being honest with you about my fears, being honest with you about my sins, being honest with you about what I want and asking for your blessing and asking for your forgiveness and asking for your presence because I can walk with you in the cool of the day and not have to hide behind the tree and not have to cover myself with fig leaves. I thank you that Jesus takes away all the need for trees and fig leaves. And now I can eat from your tree of life in the abundance of your will for me. This is the promise of the bigger story you have for me in Jesus. All that you are for me in Jesus, this abundance and not scarcity. I'm not going to believe the lie of the devil who tries to make me think there's scarcity with you. With you, there's abundance and outside of you is all scarcity and death and dust 
and thorns and thistles. But with you is abundance from your river of delights. With you is abundance in your trees that are pleasing to the eye and good for food and the tree of life that is for my healing of my brokenness. And I give thanks to you for all that you are for me in Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to A Bigger Life, a podcast of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and give it a rating so people can find this content more easily or consider texting it to a friend or posting it on social media. Thanks for listening.